Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop role-playing games, and tabletop war games. And today, we're talking about monsters of Celtic and Gaelic mythology. Basically, the, the ones from the British Isles that aren't England. You know, the good parts. I got no uh, joke here. No, no joke, this is just a statement of fact. Uh, I'm your host, Troy, my pronouns are he, him, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, who may or may not be a shapeshifter. Uh, my name's Ed, and, uh, I'm very tired because I just finished exercising, but if I was a shapeshifter, uh, that'd be pretty sweet, would solve a lot of my problems. Yes, but sadly, someone has hidden your seal skin away. Yep. Please give it back if you happen to know where it is. Yep. I mean... Have you checked the attic? Uh, no, my attic is immaculate, and it will stay that way. Okay, so probably not hidden in the roof. No. My um, garage, but... on the other hand, uh, no comment. No comment? Okay, um, maybe it's hidden in the garage. So, we are going to talk a lot about Celtic mythology and some of these fun monsters and uh, mythical beings and how they can be used in your TTRPGs. But before we dig into that, we have a segment on this podcast called The Week in Hobby, where we talk about our week in hobby. I'll go first. Um, since the last time, I have had a Lancer game. Uh, the party had set up on defense of a coastal area. Uh, the um, planet about to come under orbital attack from a group of religious zealots known as the Onic Ascendancy. Um, the party managed to uh, push the landing forces, uh, keep the landing forces off of their beach. However, this was just one beach. The whole uh, city of New San Jose is being invaded. And, um, well, it I'm drawing a little bit from the fall of British Singapore in World War II. Specifically, a map of Singapore. <laughs> so, uh, they're not in great position to hold off an entire orbital drop force. And they are going to have to push back and fight through the city a bit before they can find a way to pull out. Have fun. Also, the city is named New San Jose because guess what the most common name for a city on Earth is? Uh, new? No, San Jose. Weird. Uh, no, not really, because think about South America, and think about who named all the shit there. I guess Spain really likes Jose. I mean, it, it's Joe, right? So it's St. <laughs> Joe, or St. Joseph. It's the most common name, and so the most common thing you can name something is... Like, there are more places named San Jose than anything else. In fact, like, I think five or six of the top ten place names are San something. Because uh, the Spanish just named everything that way. And I think the Portuguese, it's the same in Portuguese, I think. So It'd be like having cities in the U.S. named St. Steve. Literally named St. Joe. So weird. Uh, and we have San Jose in California, so and I'm honestly would bet there's more than one San Jose in the United States. It's a common enough n name. I'm sure there's probably like one in Florida or something. 
go home, Spain, you're drunk. <laughs> oh, but they, they will, but they're taking all the silver with them. No! Uh, I also considered naming it New Springfield, but thought that was maybe a bit on the nose. Uh, uh, what's the, what's the rival town? Springfield and... Shelbyville? Shelbyville. Yeah, New Shelbyville. New Shelbyville. Uh, that, I'm gonna have to include that as a planet that they visit at some point. <laughs> it's known for making, um, what is it, rutabaga juice? Yep. Uh, yes. Um, so they successfully did that. There were a lot of cool things. They they got to use a lot of their powers because they got uh, new advanced mechs just before this from leveling up. So they were getting to try out all their crazy fun stuff, um, playing with some of their new toys. But also the religious zealots brought some uh, kind of terrifying hand-to-hand combat mechs. Oh, boy. And, um, yeah, the, the players got a little cut up. I'm going to cut you. By the... Laser swords wielded by these enemy mechs. Oh, and then the one with the flamethrower kind of roasted multiple people. Too hot. Yeah. Um, and in fact, overheated one of the players' reactors in the process, which was nice. Nice for me. Not so um, much for the player. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just a little overheat. Uh, as they say in the game, reactor stress is a resource. Um, so that was, uh, the, that game. Uh, my Starfinder game is on hiatus at the moment. Uh, we had a Spelljammer game. Yay! Uh, which... Let's see, we had to deal with a malfunction in the ship, which caught some stuff on fire and caused my character to briefly go overboard and then get caught in the paddle wheel of the gnomish paddle wheel device on this vessel you did some good um, sight gags for for yeah, a couple rounds did some buster keaton sight gags for a while as i was like get, got rotated around with it um but we put that out and then we ran into a merchant who we we, we didn't have money to buy anything from him and uh, i'm just distrustful of humanoids because I don't real I don't understand humans very well. And I just well, the fun that part is human. Yes. Um, well, he's a he was a Mercane, which is really a throwback to Second Edition Spelljammer, uh, because the Mercanes were super important in Spelljammer Two E. Um, and kind of just ignored entirely in Spelljammer Five E. So just like they nice ignored touch. everything else. Oh. oh. Um. And then we fought some space zombies and a space will-o'-the-wisp as we descended towards the planet Vault in Doom Space to find the wreckage of a ship whose name I don't remember off the top of my head. I mean, there's absolutely nothing that could go wrong with us flying directly into a black hole. It's not a black hole, it's a doom hole. We already discussed this. I mean, doom hole still does a lot of sucking. Yes, the Doomhole does suck. Uh, and then we also, you and I, got together for some board games. Oh, yeah, that's right. I completely uh, forgot that was last week. Yeah, that was, you know, the day after we recorded. So Time is a mystery. Time frame. Time is a flat circle. Uh, and you know what else is flat, though not a circle? A Words. Blood Bowl pitch. 
Oh, yes it is. Because we've got Blood Bowl. Uh, we managed to get half a game completed. Uh, the Skaven were up one nothing at halftime. Um, each of us had one player off the field for the rest of the game. I'm pretty sure your your rats are doping with rabies based on how many of mine you sent to the hospital. It, it's not rabies. It's just uh, they they snort some warp stone before the match. He's using performance enhancing uh, rocks. Yeah, let's go with that. Luckily, that is not banned. The uh, the rules associate the uh, referees association has not banned the use of uh, enhanced of enhancement items. <laughs> if you, your your coach bathes in blood, so that that's clearly performance enhancing. This is true. Like, so, I, I, do they take like a cooler of blood and like dump it over the coach when they win? No, you got to keep it nice and warm. If it's okay, if it's, so like a warmer of blood. Yes. Uh, there is actually an old dark elf model. I think it's called the Shrine of the Shrine of Murder. And in old Warhammer Fantasy, it was a gigantic statue of Cain who is one of the avatars of Slanesh uh, holding like a heart and a giant knife. And it's supposed to be like the blood dripping down into this giant cauldron. And then it had uh, witch elves that just stood around it. And then later on, they turn it into like an actual like giant cauldron on wheels so that you can actually move the thing around because the original one just stayed where it was. And if your guys moved out of range, then uh, it wasn't all that great. But I think that would make, like, if I can find find one, it would make an excellent, like, totem or, like, home field uh, accoutrement to have in the game. Be like Touchdown Jesus, except this is Touchdown God of Murder. I mean, in that case, I get a Doom Bell. Yes. Yes, I love it. Because that's the Skaven. Like, the Skaven score, they start ringing the Doom Bell. Yep. Uh, you ring the doom bell, we start doing human sacrifices. Yes. I mean, that's, um, that, this, these are clearly teams that are good people all around and, uh, you know, have no moral difficulties and should definitely be members of the, uh, NCAA. Oof. Harsh. Yes. But fair. Maybe it's just, like, the lack of actual playing pieces for Blood Bowl, because the game itself is pretty simple. You just have, like, your 16 dudes and the ball. Uh, yep. But I'm getting, like, really into the idea of just other random shenanigans to add in, like, on the side, just as flavor. Yeah, no, that sounds fun. Um, we also got a game of Battletech. Uh going we didn't actually finish that one although i think we can safely call that a draw yeah um as we your force consisting of a locust a war master and a catapult engaged my force consisting of a penetrator and a griffin uh yes yeah i think it was a griffin um and fought to the bitter, I guess, middle? Because it wasn't really an end. 
yeah. your locust proved it surprisingly hard to hit, except not surprising, actually looking at its abilities. I mean, that's um, the whole point. Yeah, my penetrator proved kind of annoying in heat management. Um, I'm going to have to look at that and how better to manage that for him. Uh, my griffin did quite good. Uh, your catapult had a hard time hitting anything. I'm still convinced, though, that the one hit that the catapult did land on the face of the penetrator was enough to, like, crack the windscreen so that for the rest of the game, you literally were not able to hit just about anything else. Yes, that, that I, I agree with that. You knocked out, like, his targeting, um, like, sticky note that he had stuck on the... He had stuck a big sticky note up on the windscreen saying, like, this, these are the settings you need in order to, t to hit things correctly at distances. And your, like, windscreen hit, the one damage you put in with a random missile, like, knocked that off and he couldn't find it during the battle. Yep. Um, but you did overheat your Warmaster, so it was shutting down and you managed to, at the same time, blast the PPC out of the Griffin. So we were going into a turn where you were down a mech, but I was going to have a hard time putting severe damage onto it. Yeah, I didn't. Which, I didn't quite think that yeah. through. I f I figured that the War Master would at least be able to put some massive hurt on everybody standing in front of it because I mean it was literally standing in front of me and I miraculously missed everything well i missed shooting back with the penetrator so you know no nobody's 50 -50. doing so hot yeah although once you shut down i was about to just savage him yeah i assumed he would not survive have survived that round or if he did it would have been uh kind of worthless i mean i i ex was expecting at least 20 damage going into him that next round minimum Probably more, because I might have just unleashed everything with the Penetrator, which has its, like, stupid amount of me uh, of medium lasers. Just all um, the guns. And just put on a laser light show for you there. Ooh, pretty. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Um, yeah, so that was my weekend hobby. Uh, anything you want to add, Ed? Anything else you might have done? Um... I seem to be on a bit of a hobby shopping spree at the moment. I'm vacuuming up a whole bunch of uh, mostly Warhammer stuff at the moment. Uh, I also read through the 10th edition rulebook. I like what I see so far. Um, they took stuff that worked from the 2021, or is it 22, uh, the current edition of Kill Team, uh, they took out some stuff that I didn't like. They kept some stuff that I do like. And the rules are free and relatively short. I think the total book is like 60 pages compared to, uh, you know, the monstrosities that GW is known for producing. I have one of the old ones. Yep. Um yeah, the rule, it's essentially Age of Sigmar 40,000, which is probably a good move because Age of Sigmar uh, was made to be accessible and kind of a way to funnel people into 40K. And they realized, oh, people actually really like Age of Sigmar because it's accessible and easy to get into. Um, so they basically just 
gave the Sigmar treatment to 40k, and I think the game's probably going to be better for it. And I mean, it worked enough on me because I've been trying to get back into 40k since 2009, and prior to that, it was always cost prohibitive. I think the last time I tried to get in, the rule book itself cost a hundred bucks. <laughs> And I was like, dude, I make $10 an hour. I am not spending $100 on your rule book in addition to, you know, having to finish my army. Um, I also like how you can take characters now just as part of your army, uh, which kind of makes sense because in the past, uh, playing the old Warhammer, you know, we had the cool character models, but never used them because we never broke the 2,000 point threshold that you had to actually take one of those epic level characters. Which Bro, I played Tau. We had two characters uh <laughs> three well two in the first edition that i played and then in the second edition that i never really played they added two more mm-hmm. and uh only of those four only two of them were ever any good <laughs> the space pope was always garbage and uh the the other like uh ethereal cast leader guy was not very good in those editions. So I think now, at least according according to the army composition rule I found, you can take one of each named character, assuming you can fit them all into your points. And they also changed up how the armies work, where you can only have three of each unit in your, in your game, unless it's a, uh, they call them battle line, which is basically what troops have been renamed to. So in theory, I could take Grazkull Thraka, and like three DACA jets and it would, it would be a legal army. I probably wouldn't have a good time or it might present an interesting challenge for an opponent maybe. Um, or maybe not since Grasgall would be the only character who could claim an objective. Um, but I like the fact that I can take the actual characters like right from the get go and, I think part of that is also the Sigmar influence because Age of Sigmar has moved from gigantic armies of like medieval style to smaller, like 40k scale armies, but also with really big like centerpiece miniatures, usually a character or some kind of large beast. And uh, 40k now that they're now that they're trying to emulate that, they've started adding in like the big characters like uh, Lionel Johnson. Uh, Grasgall. Yeah, uh, I know they started Farsight. bringing back the super important space marines. Yeah, and it's like you at this point you can probably assume that like most people, you know, assuming that the character is like not just an absolute drain on your army, um, they'll probably show up in most games. But I mean, yeah, who doesn't want to run one of the big fun named characters? There's no real reason to gatekeep them necessarily. Well, I think it makes the game just look more visually interesting. I don't know. My issue with it is that... I, okay, we should have an entire episode discussing this, I think. Um, but my issue is that it makes creating armies that aren't the official ones much harder. Yeah, I was kind of wondering that uh, how how much variability there will actually be in the armies because the the thing that suckered me in again was combat patrol, which is in like an intro, uh, intro game mode 
I guess also slash kind of uh, tournament game mode where everybody, they're always using the exact same forces with a little bit of variability in like the abilities that the commanders can have. And I think, you know, some of the weapons can get changed up. Um, but everything is like going into a known quantity and maybe for a while you'll have like a little bit of experimentation of like what works and what doesn't, or if, you know, there's one army that's just absolute trash and maybe they become like the halfling equivalent of like where you take it to a tournament just to see what happens or you oh, know, screw like with everybody else. Army. Yeah. So I don't know, like if the game like literally just came out, so it'll be a while for the meta to kind of settle itself out and see what happens. But I think it's going in a good direction. I mean, 40k has only been going in bad directions for like the last 20 years. So we'll see what happens. Long story yeah. short, I like what I see. Um, it feels like just a bigger kill team, which uh, I'm fine with that. And I've been slowly hunting down orcs to add to my army and I'll have lots of orcs to paint for a long time. Um, yeah. I think I, I have no interest in playing 40 K. So um, maybe I'll buy some models to paint. I still have a bunch of Necromunda guys that I haven't even gotten out of the box. I assume um, as much. My, my plan was to try and take the combat patrol box to some events um, while it's still fresh. I don't know how much that'll depend on my ability to get things done quickly. Maybe it'll be yeah. less so since I'm probably not going to go to the G-Dub store to play necessarily. Yeah, um, I think our other local game store is having some events. I have seen that popping up on their calendar. Yep. And other um, than other than Orc Hoarding, uh, still working on Battletech and Blood Bowl stuff. My, my line elves are almost done. We'll see how they look once they're all complete. I'm still kind of ambivalent on what I've produced so far. No, I, I think your stuff looks good. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Gotta, gotta paint more orcs, though. Get those green skins going. Yeah, I've got... I got the uh, Combat Patrol box. I got Grasgul Thraka. Um, Boss Snickrot gets here later in the month. Um, I also tracked down a box of the old kill team uh, orcs that for whatever reason I just never got. I can never convince myself that I actually should. Um, probably because that was back when I was still making chump change and now that I have an adult job that pays an adult salary, um, <laughs> I can buy toy soldiers. Yep, that is quite nice. I, I have to agree. Yep. So, and yeah, speaking that's my week. of adult things and adult jobs, let's uh, talk about Ireland. Celtic mythology. I mean, I guess if you're a historian or uh, an archaeologist, that's an adult job. You know what else is an adult job? Being a banshee. I'll, I mean, that, I'll that's not a it. great segue, but roll with it. Roll with it. Uh, banshees from the um, Irish Ben CD. Uh, some, meaning something of like woman of the fairy mound or fairy women is a female spirit in Irish folklore who typically would herald the death of a family member by screaming, wailing, shrieking, etc. Um, the name's kind of connected to, like, 
the ancient burial grounds of pre like prehistoric Ireland. Um, a lot of times it's depicted as a sort of ghostly woman with long hair. Uh, in most of the mythology, the Banshee, like, exists to, like, signal that someone is going to die. Um, a Banshee is a herald of death and doom. Doom! Um, sometimes it's kind of... Uh, the, the idea of the concept of it is sort of the, like, female spirit death warning thing. Um, the origin is probably related to the, like, mourning of, like, keening and wailing. The wailing um, of townspeople. Yeah, the, the wailing, especially of, um, like women in that sort of area uh were known to do it um and then uh there's also some thoughts that uh possibly uh barn owls may have been part of the rationale behind uh part of the like inspiration for it because they nest in abandoned buildings and they make weird noises and you know they're nocturnal and kind of whitish so people like see them with like torchlight and see something like white and spectral making weird noises and then flying away from an abandoned building um, i mean barn owls are kind of spooky by default yeah unless it's that video of the little uh owlet who has never heard thunder for the first time i mean owlets are all cool are just super cute owlets most are just, owls are owlets are just muppets yeah, they're, they're Muppets. Um, yeah, essentially. So, uh, Banshees in mythology tend to just be, like, very, very Irish. Um, a lot of times they were, like, linked to specific families um, and, like, would herald the death of a fa important person in that family by, like, hearing Banshee wails. Whoopsie-daisy. Um and when several banshees appeared at once, it would indicate the, like, death of someone who is great or holy. Um, and sometimes the spirits are, you know, the ghosts of a murdered woman or a mother died in childbirth. You know, sort of your standard female spirit mythology thing. Um, whereas Dungeons and Dragons takes that and kind of... Is like, well, that's nice and all, and it's a recognizable name, but how do you fight one? You probably shouldn't. Um, Don't fuck with the fairy women. So, the Banshee in Dungeons & Dragons is a, like, spiteful undead ghost of a woman, sometimes spe specifically an elf, but also sometimes not, um, that is... You know, it, it's a spectral undead lady who, um... She's pissed. Has a, like, wail that, um, can harm people. Cause you to drop almost to death immediately. I think um, that did happen nearly in one of our D&D &D games where we aged, like, a decade. 
That's the ghosts. Oh, is that a ghost? Ghosts can age you just by touching you. Um, Banshees have the ability, like, they have a horrifying visage where you look at them and you have to pass a save or be frightened. Um, and then they have a terrible, like, whale ability where once a day they can just go, Aah! and everybody around has to make a constitution saving throw or drop to zero hit points. Yay. Uh, even if you pass that save, you still take psychic damage. Boo. Um... I'm terrified, but course, also turned on. I don't know how to reconcile these differences. Uh, that's that's clearly passing the save, or just being a bard. <laughs> um, so yeah, Banshees, they've been pulled away from the like notion in mythology. The notion is that they sort of herald these events. They don't cause them. The, the Whale of the Banshee does not actually hurt you. It's just scary. And yeah. there's a like portentous omen. I don't think I've uh, I don't think I've seen a banshee used in like popular fantasy fiction where it's just an omen. It's like no, that's just the spooky thing that she does. Yeah, I mean, uh, Discworld had a thing where you know the the banshee cries, somebody dies. Uh, is one of the like sayings about the banshee just because it you know heralds death. But in Discworld, it was a banshee that was a hitman. <laughs> Nice. So the banshee cries and then kills somebody. Um, which is a nice twist, I guess. I herald your death and then I cause it. It also kind of sounds like a campaign slogan. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a banshee. They they are spirits, but they are, ten, since they tend to be like the spirits of a murdered woman or something them being classified as undead in Dungeons and Dragons makes a decent amount of sense. Um, as for what you could use them for, I think a group of banshees, like heralding the death of somebody important or like uh, townsfolk keep hearing a group of banshees and there's an important somebody who's supposed to show up like in the next couple of days. And so the players have to go clear them out they're your plot uh, hook yeah they, they could be a good plot hook for a fairly low level campaign they are challenge rating four normally but i'd say even a like level two level three group could take one out pretty good um they don't have a crazy high armor class or hit points and um wh while they do have resistance to normal damage and a number of damage types honestly it they're not immune to most of them so uh yeah you can still do a good amount of damage um and they will get out action economied pretty much instantly if they're alone and they're not a monster that teams up with things so uh yeah Although having one team up with something would be pretty fun. Banshee and a hag. I mean, yes, a a hag that has like a banshee trap that it forces to do things would be a nice t combo setup. Um, but I, it could also be fun to have like a banshee who is working with someone who's deaf <laughs> and is thus immune to their 
uh, whale ability. That would be pretty good. Uh, maybe like a, I don't know, there's, there's somebody deaf, maybe someone who also has blind sight so that, you know, not frightened, can't hear it, can't see it. Yeah, do, do something like that. I'm not sure what exactly you use for that, but it could be kind of fun. That's the DM's um, job. They'll figure it yeah, out. Yeah, that's the DM's job. But I think the Banshee is best, honestly, it's reasonably interesting on its own. But it would be even better when paired with something that, like, takes advantage of what it does to really mess with players. Um, honestly, a banshee, like, working with a deaf ogre would be kind of funny. Banshee like working guy with being an evil like, bard. Or working with an evil bard. That could be pretty cool, too. Maybe the bard murdered the woman. To create the banshee, there you go. Necromancer or, bard, just or he killed head. her and now just can't get rid of her. That or yeah, maybe she killed herself because of something he did and is like stuck with him. You could do all sorts of craziness with it. You don't uh, need to fight everything. One, yeah, fight them all. Fight them all. The next one is. Uh, one of the ones that I think is most interesting and doesn't really have much representation in Dungeons and Dragons. It's a shapeshifter. It's the Selkie. You familiar with Selkies at all? Uh, it sounds familiar. Is that different from the Changeling where they get kidnapped as children? Yes, very different. Uh, we're not actually going to cover Changelings. They're interesting enough to get their whole get a whole episode. I feel like um, I feel like I've encountered the the name or the creature before but nothing's coming to the top of my brain so selkies are mythological creatures that can shapeshift between seal and human forms awesome uh typically they do this by removing their seal skin and like setting that aside when they're on land uh they show up in a lot of mythologies uh mostly like northern european celtic gaelic uh, a lot of Scottish islands have selkie myths. Um, one of the most prominent being a like female selkie comes ashore. She sets her seal skin aside while she's going to like run errands on land. And then a local fisherman typically finds the seal skin, takes it, and then gets the woman to become like traps her in human form and marries the woman. Uh, it's then an unhappy marriage. You know, you're pretty standard, uh, swan maiden story until usually the selkie like finds the hidden um uh seal skin and takes it and runs back to the ocean i mean it seems like a good way to piss off some kind of like fey dad and if there's any if there was anybody's dad who i'd be terrified of it would be some kind of fey yeah well i mean they're not really fey they're just shapeshifters they're more along the lines of, like, another race or a group of people. They're usually depicted as, like, living in the ocean until they come onto land to run errands. Ah. You know, they are not, um, they're not depicted generally as having super magical powers. They've got better Tesco's the up ability. on the land. Yeah, the, they've got Tesco's on land and the ocean Tesco's isn't shite. So, you know, they come on land to do their shopping or whatever. Um, or to, like... 
get the salt water out of their hair for a few minutes. Um, you know, so they're usually like have cultures. A lot of times uh, there are stories of this being done and then it turns out, oh, uh, the Selkie has a husband already underwater with the other seals. So this is not going well. Um, I would say, some... well, at least you could run away from a seal, but then he's just going to like shed his seal skin and tackle you on the beach and beat you to a pulp. Yes, that is uh, one of the endings. Um, although sometimes like the Selkie declares vengeance and like curses the humans and that's what causes shipwrecks and the like. You just blame the seals for it. Or the wrath of a Selkie. Um, there's also <laughs> some variants. Six. <laughs> yes, Selkie Team Six. Um, there's also some variants where it's the other way around, where it's a like widow, a fisherman's widow who meets a seal who turns out to be a Selkie, and they have they bang and have some kids who have like webbed fingers. I think some weird half seal children. Yeah, constantly um, asking for fish. Yeah, I mean, well, when you're a small Scottish island, that that's what you have available, so it's not that out of the question. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, there are some variants where it's, you know, the Selkie and the fisherman actually meet and get married, and it's a no nice, normal couple, and then, like, the guy goes out to sea during a storm, and the wife has to turn back into a seal to go save him, but then, you know, can't turn back into a human again. You know, the, like, less terrifyingly misogynistic version. I'm kind of surprised that sh hasn't shown up as, like, a plot point for, uh, like one of the miscellaneous stories in Hellboy. Um, it honestly might have. There's a lot of Hellboy short stories that I have that I don't remember. Yeah, I've in, I've read all of them, but I don't remember all of them. <laughs> yeah, um, he has some good ones that are similar, but also you know the Selkie myth is quite well known in uh, Northern Europe, so might have been something. Also, Selkies just generally aren't super harmful. Um, well, yeah, it's a seal lady. Why would so, you? Why would you want to fuck with her? Just leave her alone. Yeah. She's got shopping. Enemy. Yeah, she's got shit to do. And obviously, like the Selkies, uh, seals were generally not hunted in these islands unless, like, there was no other food source available. Um. So there's uh, some of this is just like the leave the seals alone, sort of shit. Um, cool. We stay yeah. in environmentalism. Yeah, I just like leave seals alone. Seals are cool. Seals, seals are quite cute. Uh, been to the aquarium, seen the seals. Um, and uh, it's a mythology that, you know, it, it matches some shapeshifter mythology. It very much tends to follow the uh, like swan maiden one where, you know, a guy finds a lady who can turn into or a swan that turns into a woman and then convinces her to be his wife and then she's unhappy about it but he doesn't let her leave uh see also the japanese crane wife uh folklore history is just misogyny same. all the way down same basic thing you know uh you you dude finds a dude convinces a lady to be his wife and then it is a shitty husband until she leaves or dies or both um, but yeah, so Selkie's interesting bit. Um, I think they could be really interesting again as a story where like a Selkie is taking revenge on a town in D and D. 
or, you know, there's a group of Selkie that need the human, that need the player's help with something. They would actually Maybe be, a, it's, they'd be a perfect encounter for Icewind Dale. They'd be great for Icewind Dale. Yeah. Um, there are a few different series on like the origins of where Selkies come from, like folklore wise. Uh, there are some like hereditary uh, diseases that kind of cause people to grow skin between their fingers to kind of be web-ish. And there are were supposedly a like Scottish clan in the Outer Hebrides that had that some that had that. So they kind of self mythologized to be related to seals. Seals run in my family. Um, also, there's some theories that like early Scottish settlers may have encountered and um, Finnish or Samoy or Semi, um, the like Finnish uh, native peoples um who had seal skin kayaks and clothing um, yeah we're just going we're if, just going back to the greeks seeing people riding horses and being like oh that is a monster i mean kind of if you have somebody who, who like got to your island in a kayak and it's made of seal skin and they like take off their seal skin jacket and it's a pretty lady you're like oh my god how did she get here there's no boat there's just that pile of seal skin because you don't understand what a kayak is. She must be a seal. She, I mean, you kind of mythologize it over a couple generations, then yeah. Um, yeah. That sort of, um, you know, Selkies are interesting. Um, they don't actually show up in modern Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, they had it rules for first, second, and third edition i believe weird um where they were kind of wear seals <laughs> they were just werewolves but seals do we know um, why they would have been taken out not really i don't really i yeah i i'm not sure um i mean the second edition art for them is absolutely terrifying because it's like a seal with human hands and weird stumpy legs instead of that turn into its flippers it's terrifying i gotta do I gotta not look like. at this right now do not like um i'm just gonna shoot oh, yeah, that, that is, one that is terrifying yeah you you must have found it yeah i found it yeah that is not not yeah, maybe someone saw that art and was like, oh, we don't need that in further editions. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I think they're interesting and definitely worth introducing if you're doing a campaign that takes place near the ocean or you know, anything like that. Um, honestly, having a group of like a, a Selkie tribe in a pirate game is something I might throw in. That would be cool. Um you know they're they're pretty pretty interesting. They've got some cool tricks. the The shape shifting's co fun, um, and just you know, they got the whole reverse scuba suit thing going on. Yeah, yeah, reverse scuba. And and maybe there's some maybe there's an evil wizard who wants the selkie um uh, seal skins. Maybe that's 
useful as a thing. Probably. There's all sorts of stuff you could do with it. Uh, what is it? Uh, the movie, um, animated movie, Irish animated movie, Song of the Sea, um, 2014, uh, it was by that, um, that Irish animation company that does the really cool looking stuff. Um, and is about a guy who, a boy who discovers his sister is a selkie. Whoops. You know, you're pretty standard cool animated kids film um the next one is a classic that also again isn't in modern dungeons and dragons the doolahan that one i uh, don't think i'm familiar with it's the headless horseman hey it's the classic irish headless horseman uh a headless rider on a black horse who tends to either carry his held his own head like up high in his hand or under his arm um, the name is derived from, like, an old Irish term for hobgoblin, um, signifying, like, a wicked fairy, mm-hmm. although its usage since, like, the, like, early 1800s has been specific to this one Headless Horseman version. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, there's a, like, 1828 I book about irish folklore had five chapters about headless horsemen and and specific like stories typically it's a guy headless horseman black horse um sometimes it's a coach uh the driver you know being headless and all the horses of it being headless uh in many cases that coach is revealed to be made entirely out of bones um, something about the horses being headless just makes it even worse. Yeah, sometimes the horses are headless. Uh, yeah, again, the, the Drillahan tends to be like a, um, carrying, like, a spirit of death kind of thing, where it heralds the death of someone, or, like, it's there to collect someone's soul. Um, just got a banshee right sometime, in the back of the coach. Huh? Yeah, no, yeah, it collects the soul, tosses it in the back of the horse, and, like, runs it around. Um, sometimes the head is, like, messed up, like, the eyes are on fire or whatever. Um, it's, usually it's said that the, it can see through the head, even though it's severed. So it can, like, move it around and look behind it. Um, or sometimes the horse, the headless horseman is just depicted as not being able to see. It just rides along like a crazy person. <laughs> um, occasionally, it's depicted with a whip made out of spinal columns. Cool. Yeah, metal as fuck. Um, it's it's a pretty sta- it's a headless horseman. It's a very it's a weird death spirit kind of thing, and again, doesn't really show up in Dungeons and Dragons for some reason. Yeah, I don't, don't know. know why. Maybe because it's like too specific of a character it'd be more like a one-off like character for a specific scenario maybe but i mean because i mean like selkies you could find like a whole tribe of selkies it's not like they're just one but if you're like man this village is overrun with headless horsemen something's messed up there's a former executioner who just started going around cutting off all these horses heads (laughs) and leaving them in people's beds i don't know um, 
I, I think the dual hand's interesting. I think it could be in more games. I mean, you give it stats, you could base it off some of the things. It has some interesting abilities. The whole, like, having the horse, the head, uh, some of its stories have it, like, doing all sorts of weird shit, um, almost always at night. Um, so I think you could do something with it. Uh, it, I should also note that it has a, the Dullahan appears in a lot of, uh, Japanese stuff as a, typically like a fantasy video game mid-boss. Weird. Um, where it's generally depicted as being like the scary undead horse rider guy, uh, without a head or with a removable head. Um, and the Japanese one is usually depicted in like wearing full plate armor, like a knight. Uh, it's oftentimes shown as like a headless knight, uh, which is not a feature of the Irish folklore at all. But uh, like we said, Irish folklore through the Japanese lens. Way to make it non-canonical, Japan. I, I told you that was going to come back around. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, I, I, I think dual hands are interesting and uh, find a way to use them. If you're running a Spelljammer campaign, maybe it rides a headless space dragon or something. Headless space goldfish rider. Yeah, headless, you know, uh, giant space hamster. Whatever you need to make it work. Um, Perhaps I, that's what's guarding a shipwreck on the moon vault. I can't think of any other good examples of weird headless things. Uh, headless Hydra. Yes. <laughs> so many necks. Um, yeah. Uh, and the last one is something that does appear in Dungeons and & Dragons. And that's the Fomorians. Uh, uh, Fomorians... Ant people? Nope. Uh, the Fomorians are a... Typically... Um, depicted as being like a, they're they're kind of the Irish equivalent of the Titans from Greek mythology. Oh yeah, I'm thinking of Formian. Yes. Yes, I know. I know what you're talking about now. Yes, uh, they were a. Oftentimes in mythology, they were, um, like the alternate pantheon to the Irish Celtic pantheon in like pre-Christian mythology. The Normal Pantheon defeated them and at something called the Battle of Magtuid. I am probably mangling that Irish pronunciation, but, you know, it fits with the war between the gods that many, many uh, European myths have. Um, the Aesir and the Vanir in Norse mythology, the Olympians and the Titans in Greek mythology. Um, you generally don't want to lose pretty, those wars. Yeah, you don't want to lose one of those wars. Um, so the Formians are generally depicted as some sort of, like, very large, powerful, giant-y things, oftentimes, like, with nat nature powers, um, and are sort of, like, reduced to malevolent spirits dwelling underwater and in the, like, underground. Um, almost always portrayed as monstrous, sometimes they have the body of a man and the head of a goat! <laughs> or just having one eye or one arm or one leg, you know. They're, they're generally, like, bad giants or bad 
spirits in mythology. And in Dungeons and Dragons, they are giants that are hideously indeformed by an ancient curse. And they're the evilest of all giants. Um, and again, they've been around in Dungeons and Dragons since first edition. Um, they actually were more important in fourth, uh, where they dwelled in, um, the, like, underground areas of the Feywild and were the, like, major element of the Feywild. Um, Isn't the Feywild basically just Celtic mythology all over the place? I mean, it is Celtic plus all the, like, fairy mythology and the, um... Fomorians were the, like, super strong giants that lived underground in the Feywild, essentially the Feywild Underdark, and were constantly fighting the Eladrian and the other people who ran the non-underground parts of the Feywild. Feywild, um, terrifying. Feywild, Underdark, stuff of nightmares. Yes, that, that seems about right. Um... The, the ones oftentimes have, like, an evil eye in the in Dungeons & Dragons. Not always, but sometimes evil eyes were an element of it. They're typically strong, sometimes stupid, sometimes, like, brutally cunning levels of sm- smart. Are they? What um, about cunningly brutal? Uh, no, that would be a different type of giant. Um... I guess maybe that's Frost Giants. Yeah, the Eladrian are, you know, the their primary enemies. Sometimes they used Cyclops as servants. Um, oftentimes they, you know, had a bunch of other weird races uh, that they would, like, enslave or rule. Um the ones in mythology are much more vague and strange. Um, and they sort of, you know, had all sorts of strange abilities. Uh, the evil eye thing actually comes from a specific one who is one of their leaders named Balor, uh, or Balor. Um, he, he was a giant described with a, like, single... Cyclopean eye that wreaks destruction when opened. It's a um, giant beholder. Run. Yes. Uh, he, he fits with the Cyclops more so, honestly. Um, but also, like, that name is, uh, you know, kind of got repurposed in D&D for the, the demon, the Baylor. Oh, uh, I was like, the, the name sounds familiar. Yeah, well, in Celtic mythology, it was an evil giant with a giant with a like single eye that caused untold destruction. Uh, in Dungeons and Dragons, when they got a nasty gram from the Tolkien estate saying they weren't allowed to use the name Balrog, they were like, oh, let's just change some letters around and name our demon that has a whip and a sword the Baylor. Boo. And claim it's now based on Celtic mythology. Uh, yeah, not the not the best choice, but eh, yeah. I mean, so so they kind of did that, and thus weakened the recognition of the Baylor. But it is 
you know, I think the Formian one is more interesting for a game. Um, so think about that, like an evil, mad giant with an eye that causes destruction. Um, exactly what that eye does is up to you, Dungeon Master. Uh, <laughs> there's a whole mythological cycle that this guy shows up in. So um, there are specific details about the sort of shenanigans he does. Um, it took the length of the strength of four warriors to lift his eyelid. Yeah. Weird, the, uh, fun mythology. That interpretation of giants, it also reminds me of uh, how the giants show up in uh, Dark Souls. They're very, very similar vibe. Yeah, I mean, the Formian giants seems like a Dark Souls Elden Ring kind of thing. Which calls back to your point uh, about European mythology through a Japanese lens, because Dark Souls is a Japanese interpretation of Western European fantasy. Yeah. Um, but don't take our word for it. Go interpret this fantasy and mythology yourself. I would recommend, like, if you're interested, go out and go to the library or a bookstore and get a book on Celtic mythology or, you know, Scottish mythology or Welsh mythology or whatever, and actually read that. And don't just uh, look at the Wikipedia articles. Because you will get so much more out of it. Go to your local library get a get a book on Irish giants and also a bunch of other banned books. Yes. Um, you can skip getting things about they might be giants. I've looked into it. They are not giants. They are normal-sized people. Disappointing. I know, right? Um, but anyway, that is Monsters of Celtic Mythology, or at least all the ones we're talking about today. There are plenty more weird ones. So we have a segment on this podcast called Board Game Corner, and Ed will now tell us about a board game. Oh no, it's my turn now. Uh, well, since we're done talking about monsters of Irish mythology, uh, are you a fan of monsters of American mythology? Kind oh, of. Oh boy, I am. Uh, then you might want to try out uh, Monsters Menace America from Avalon Hill. Uh I think it was originally produced in 2005. I'm not 100% sure if that was the second edition or the original. Uh, but basically the game is you are a B-movie Hollywood monster. So you've got your uh, Godzilla knockoff, uh, your Rodan knockoff. Um, I can't remember the name of the sludge monster from Godzilla, but there's a sludge monster. There's a giant eyeball. There's a King Kong uh, analog. And you're basically just going around the continental United States, uh, squashing cities, uh, terrorizing vaguely 1950s themed people, uh, stepping on nuclear plants or radioactive test sites to mutate and gain new powers. And then once all the cities have been stomped, uh, you have a big monster rumble to see who is the most powerful monster in America. And then one player wins. Um, the in addition, most powerful monster in America yep. is capitalism. Oh, well, speaking of capitalism, uh, one of the things that can happen is you can get captured by Hollywood and put on display. And uh, 
I think if I remember correctly, you, you like lose turns basically doing that until you can break out. Um, in addition to playing as one of the Hollywood monsters, or I guess Hollywood slash Toho, uh, Toho monsters, uh, you can also, you also take control of one of the branches of the U S military. You can play as either the Navy, uh, air force, Marines, or army. And you use that to Marines. They're just wet army. <laughs> uh, you use them to harass the other players, monsters, um, depending on which branch you're playing. Uh, they do different things. Navy has like nuclear submarines. The Marines can use both infantry and uh, boats. The army has a bunch of land-based stuff. Uh, Air Force has planes, which don't try and take down King Kong with the planes. Cause he's just going to swat them out of the air. Uh, yeah, no, we all know he does that. That's his like one move, climb buildings, swap planes, have heart attack. Yep. The, uh, the military pieces are actually kind of an interesting mechanic because no matter what you do, every time you attack, you lose all of those attacking units because it's assumed that the monster is just going to annihilate everything, but they still do the damage. Um, which, I mean, I like it, but also has no one heard of standoff munitions? Apparently not. But I mean, this is supposed to be like the faux 1950s, so maybe. I suppose. Um, that mechanic did take a little bit of time to wrap my head around because I was like, oh, well, what's the point? If you're just going to lose them all, why even bother attacking? It's like, no, that's the the whole thing is they attack the monster and they all die in the process. And then you've got to, you know, muster your resources and bring them back. Um, the game, it's fairly old at this point, but there are still a lot of copies hovering around out there um, for like 20 bucks, which is about a third of what I paid for it new. Um, uh, that being said, it is also kind of an older style game. Uh, made by Avalon Hill, so it takes a little while to play. Um, it's got more rules than it probably should. Um, if you want a similar vibe, but maybe a more refined or faster game, something like King of Tokyo, uh, maybe more up your alley. But it's one that uh, I had fun with. I can't bring myself to part with it, so it's just kind of a permanent part of my collection at the moment. Yeah, sounds like fun. We're going to have to play that at some point, because I do love giant monsters stomping around. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to play it. It might be better uh, with more players, so I don't know. Maybe we can get my wife in on the action. But I think uh, Haas and I played it uh, last back in like 2011. Um, not quite as good with just two players, but it's been a while since I played it, so it could use uh, some exercise. So yeah, yep. that's this corner of board games. Yes, and as always, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, feel free to like, subscribe, follow us on social media, uh, Instagram, NOLA Country, Twitter. I, I think we may be getting out of Twitter. Uh, I think I, we've been out of Twitter for a while. I haven't checked our Twitter page in ever. I logged on on I log on on occasional. Um, I may consider. I'm considering just moving it to Threads. Now that um, there is an official consensus place to abandon twitter for so i kept seeing like threads trending and i was like why is everybody like suddenly obsessed with this apocalyptic movie from the 80s that the bbc inexplicably aired during like prime time hours and terrify the generation but no it's, yeah it's just it's facebook twitter it's instagram facebook twitter um it, i so far as i know the big selling point is that it'll automatically bring like link you with all the people you follow on instagram 
Yeah, I keep I keep getting uh, advertisements for threads on Instagram, and I'm like, I don't I don't care enough. No. I mean, if it replaces Twitter, then I guess that's a replacement for Twitter. I'm trying to distance myself from as much social media as I can at this point. Yeah. Um, I, I don't use it enough to really make that work. But you can follow us. We don't post anything. Yeah, get get us our numbers good. Yeah, get those numbers up. Those are good numbers, Jimmy. Um, yeah, you should support your local game store. You should, uh, I guess, continue to avoid Florida and Texas and some of those other states. Um, yeah, and you should do the things Ed's about to tell you to do. Oh, boy. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Adam Madness. That's the only place where I post any of my paid progress because I can't be bothered to manage a whole bunch of social media stuff. Um, you can donate to your queer charities, uh, your reproductive justice funds, your bail funds and all that. Um, don't talk to the cops. Um, bully all your, constables are bastards. Bully your local Nazi out of the hobby. Um, You already said my joke about sinking the Gulf states. Uh, so go Knowles. Go Knowles. Go Knowles. <laughs>